0: So today we're going to talk about vaccination, and particularly the Jewish perspective on vaccines and vaccination. So, throughout history, infectious diseases have decimated communities, decimated populations, and throughout history, infectious diseases was by far the main cause of death. Especially in younger people, most people died from infectious disease. Today, in modern times, thanks to the gifts of modern medicine and modern public health policies, we have been able to counter infectious diseases. Um, Today only a very, very small percentage of people, less than 5% of people in the United States, die from infectious disease. Even those who do, it's usually from the flu or pneumonia, and many of the terrible infectious diseases that have decimated populations in the past and really destroyed whole cities and um, countries um, have mostly disappeared. And there are a number of different important health advances that um, have led to the infectious disease reduction, um, including antibiotics and uh, better public health policies. Uh, But one of the central pillars has been that we have vaccines that are able to immunize us from most of the worst infectious diseases that exist. Um, For some very aggressive infectious diseases, some very common ones, um, we immunize the entire population, creating what's called herd immunity to ensure that nobody gets the disease. So we've been managed with herd immunity to entirely eradicate smallpox, which is one of the worst diseases that affected. Um, Europeans and really um, people across Europe and Asia um, were pretty close to eradicating polio. Um, However, there has in recent years been a resurgence of some infectious diseases uh, that had been that had been on the decline or almost disappeared in the past Um, notably um, whooping cough and the measles um, and that has been very much from people who have refused to vaccinate their children, parents who did not want to vaccinate their children. Um, in places where there are many such parents um, that do not want to vaccinate their children, then the children will lose the herd immunity. In um, other words, a large, when most people or not enough people are immune, and it then, especially for very highly infectious diseases like measles, it brings it back. And um, as a result, there's been a very high measles outbreak in this country over the past year or two, uh, very significant. Um, Measles was considered about a decade ago, measles was considered eradicated from the United States. We went over a year without a single measles measles case in the entire country. Um, But it has now come back and now there have been, in 2019, there were thousands and thousands of measles cases across the country. So that is due to people who are hesitant to vaccinate. So our subject for today is going to be what does Judaism say about vaccinations, about vaccinating our children? Should we do it? Should parents have a choice if they want to vaccinate? Can we force parents who refuse to do so, can we force them to vaccinate for the good of the greater community? So for hundreds of years, smallpox was a devastating disease it killed countless children in every community wherever it struck it came at every decade or so um, to just about every community in europe and asia It would travel from community to community much like chickenpox that we all remember as children um, except smallpox was much more deadly um, and a very very large number of children will die would die Adults generally didn't get it because the adults that survived smallpox usually had built up their own immunity um, and if they did get it it was a little less, it was also um, deadly but a little less deadly but a very significant number of children that contracted it died um, and many of those who didn't um, had marks on their face for life from the smallpox. Now for some time, for hundreds of years it was known that if you take smallpox, the, if you take the smallpox has blisters, similar to a lot of the other um, um, neurological diseases. And so um, if you take the pus out of the blister of the smallpox and inject it into a healthy person, it would give them a much more minor form of smallpox. And this procedure was done um, in many, many places um, across the world, um, definitely for hundreds and hundreds of years. In the late 18th century, Edward Jenner was an English doctor who invented the first smallpox vaccine. And what he did was, he discovered there was a very similar disease to smallpox, called cowpox. Cowpox didn't really travel from person to person, people would get it from cows, and usually only farm hands that would work with cows would get it. Um, but it, was, it looked similar to smallpox, but it was much, much more minor, and people rarely died from it. And so, but what he realized was that people that, had cow, people that contracted cowpox never got smallpox and so what he, he figured out a way to inject to take pus from cowpox and inject it into a person um, on their arm it would create blisters on the arm where it was injected and that was it um, they would then be immune to smallpox he created the right he developed the right doses and the right way to do it and how um, how long to wait after the blisters um, appear in order to um, transfer it. And so he invented what became known as the first vaccine. Vac coming from Latin for cows, um, because it came from cows. So um, he, this was invented in 1795. Um, in the early 19th century, the smallpox vaccine spread people across Europe and North America gave their children the smallpox vaccine in order to save them from smallpox. And so this was widely practiced throughout the 19th century in Europe. There were special practitioners that would go from town to town just to spread, um, just to give uh, the smallpox vaccine to um, children. And most children throughout the 19th century were immunized from um, smallpox. Um, over the, later, in the, later in the 19th century, more vaccines were created. Um, late, 19th century, uh, late 19th century, vaccines were created for rabies, uh, which came from animals, for anthrax. Um, and then gradually more vaccines were created. In 1955, Jonas Salk, that's Jewish doctor, um, created um, the polio vaccine. Um, in order to and um, in order to stop uh, that was able that was able to vaccinate people against polio. Today we have dozens of vaccines for many different viruses and bacteria that are able to um, that are able to immunize people um, against different diseases. We have about a dozen or so diseases that are on what's called the schedule of vaccination recommended by the United States uh, Department of Health, and so that all children of very specific ages should be vaccinated, creating, ensuring that many of the worst diseases everybody, the entire country, is um, cleared from or is immune against. So when vaccines were first created, there was a lot of debate over them. Um, There was a lot of people questioned how um, effective they were, um, and, but people also questioned the ethics of the vaccine, and including among people that questioned the ethics of the vaccine, um, Jewish scholars, um, looking at it from a perspective of Jewish law, of halacha and Jewish values, um, also dealt with the question of vaccines. Should we vaccinate ourselves, our children, um, to protect them from diseases? And there are really two issues involved in the ethics of taking a vaccine. Um, The first is personal health. A person who is vaccinated is protected from contracting a deadly or debilitating disease. So you're able to improve your personal health by taking a recommended uh, vaccine. The second is public health. Public health means a person who's immune to a disease will not pass it on to others is if everyone or almost everyone is immune, it will keep the disease from spreading. And so if a person chooses not to vaccinate, they're not only a threat to their own health, but they become then a threat because they can then carry the disease and pass it on to others, they become a threat to others. And this is true even for those who do vaccinate because... Um, not everybody who takes a vaccine develops full immunity. There is a small percentage, depending on the vaccine, between 10 and 25 percent, that do not develop full immunity from vaccines that they take. And so, um, and even those that do, sometimes some vaccines wear off with time. And so, um, not everyone who has taken the vaccine is necessarily going to be immune to immune to the particular disease. Um, but Others who have not taken the vaccine then increase the overall number and have the ability to pass it on to somebody who's not truly immune. There are also certain people with um, autoimmune problems um, that do not allow them to take that for them they cannot take a vaccine. And for those people, um, it would be for them also that they are protected by the herd immunity. Somebody who chooses not to vaccinate themselves has the possibility of contracting the disease and then passing it over to one of those people who are not truly immune. So choosing not to vaccinate is not only harmful to oneself, it is also a public health problem. In other words, you are also a threat to other people around you in event that you do take uh, an event that you uh, that you contract the disease so what does jewish law say about this are these concerns our personal health and our public health if somebody does not want to take the vaccine perhaps they're concerned about dangers involved in taking the vaccine harm that it can cause to a person um, or if somebody just doesn't want to take it because they don't want to take it, Um, they're afraid of the pain, um, or just they have some personal hangup with it, they decide not to take it, is that their choice? So, among our commandments, the Torah tells us, (laughs) v'nishmartem you must guard your souls, which our sages say means you must protect your health. (laughs) So we Jews are commanded to protect our health and to protect ourselves. <coughs> it is forbidden for a Jew to put themselves, or really for anyone, Torah forbids us, to put ourselves in a dangerous situation. You're not allowed to do something dangerous. Now, how do you define danger? Just about everything that we do involves some level of danger. Going into a building involves some level of danger. Going into a car involves some level of danger. Going onto a plane. Even crossing the street involves some level of danger, probably greater danger than going into a car. So, are we allowed to do those things? So, generally, if the danger is relatively minor, In other words, it's unlikely most of the times that you go into a car, um, you will not get hurt. Um, And um, most of the times you cross the street, you will not get hurt. It's fairly unlikely. It does happen, but it's fairly unlikely. If it is part of regular life, then um, it is permitted to do. Um, So if it's something that we do as part of our regular life, we are definitely allowed to. And Jewish law does not forbid it. However, something that involves some danger that is not part of regular life, and is not necessary due to some other game, say if someone wants to be involved in extreme sports, um, Jewish law would forbid us to do so. We're not allowed to do something that is dangerous. Um, There are complex classifications as to what is dangerous, what is not dangerous um, it's not just the Jewish mother that they don't want their children to do dangerous things uh, but Torah actually forbids us from doing it but we're, without getting into the details of what we can and what we cannot do we are forbidden from putting ourselves in danger you know people often say I choose to put myself in danger it's my choice I can choose to do so and we live in a society that generally puts personal autonomy in other words the right to choose, right, above other values, above almost any other value in our society today. The right to choose, autonomy, freedom is considered to be greater than almost any other value. However, the Torah tells us that we actually don't have freedom to choose what we want to do with ourselves. And that's because we don't actually own our bodies. Our bodies belong to God. Our bodies are only given to us by God on loan, and therefore we are not allowed to mutilate ourselves in any way. The Torah expressly forbids that. We're not allowed to harm ourselves in any way, um, because we don't control our. But we don't own our bodies. We don't have the right to hurt ourselves. Definitely, suicide is forbidden. Not only because, as modern society may suggest, that. A person committing suicide is really doesn't want to do it and it's only their depression or something else that's leading them to it but we believe it's wrong because you don't own your body you have no right to harm it so you don't actually have autonomy over your body you don't have the right to hurt yourself um, in any way Um, for that reason um, in a um, famous essay that Rav Yosef Zevin, um, one of the great Jewish scholars in the 20th century, wrote about, um, about Merchant of Venice, whether a person can ever sell a pound of flesh, you can never offer to hurt yourself. Um, it's an invalid offer. It doesn't, your body doesn't belong to you. It's not yours to harm yourself. So for that reason, you cannot hurt yourself. You cannot put yourself in a dangerous situation. You cannot do something that will make you unhealthy. Um, And so, in the same way, if you are unhealthy or you are sick, you are required to do everything that it takes to make yourself better. You're not allowed to say, you know what, I couldn't be bothered healing myself. I don't want to go through what it takes to heal myself. You're required to do everything because your body is on loan from God. Um, It's not yours. You don't have the choice not to help make yourself better. You are required, now there can be complicated situations where people are chronically ill and uh, it, gets, it can get somewhat complex. We have a class scheduled about um, end of life care, um, and that can be a whole, that's a whole subject of its own. But you are required to help yourself when you are sick. Not just because you want to feel better, you are ethically required to make yourself feel better. In the same way, you are not allowed to do anything that will make you sick. And if you are threatened by sickness or disease, you must do everything you can to avoid it. And therefore, the Shalor Bishaya Harowitz, Horowitz, a very famous 17th century scholar, um, and he's quoted in Bagena Navraham, one of the, um, one of the um, important books of Jewish law, um, says that if someone is not sick, but there's a danger, they'll get sick. And the example he gives is when there's a break of when there's an outbreak of smallpox in town, You are required to flee town, which is what people would generally do. right? Flee town, leave the town until it passes over. And you're not allowed, you can't just stay put, because you must do everything it takes to save yourself and your children. Um, And indeed, that's what we always did, Jews always made sure to do, when disease would strike town, leave. That was the only solution they had. They had nothing else to do. We must take Steps to prevent illness, from to prevent ourselves from getting sick. By the same token, one would argue that today we have a better solution than leaving town, which is to vaccinate. If you take a vaccine, you avoid getting the smallpox or whatever disease will come your way. So Jewish law would not give you the autonomy to choose whether you want to take it or you don't want to take it. You would be required to take it because you are required to protect your health. In the 19th century, when the small, original smallpox vaccine first became available, scholars at the time, in the early 19th century, debated or wrote about the question, should Jews give their children the smallpox vaccine? And one great scholar was Rabbi Israel Lipschitz, known by his book Deferit Israel from Danzig, which at the time was in Germany, now it's in Poland. Um, and he was asked about the danger of about taking the smallpox vaccine. Now, at the time, in the early 19th century, taking the smallpox vaccine was not that safe. Definitely by today's standards. Why? They didn't have the. Um, they didn't have the um, sanitation that we have today. Um, they didn't sanitize everything like we have. They didn't even yet fully understand. They didn't have, it was before, Louis Pasteur. They didn't even understand um, bacteria. And, um, and so there, were, there was a certain danger, and some people got the wrong um, smallpox vaccine, and they ended up developing more serious cases of smallpox. So it wasn't common. It was a couple in a hundred. That got seriously sick, or um, or could, it was even terminal, uh, or got or died from the smallpox vaccine, but there was a very significant chance. It wasn't unheard of. Um, yet, getting small contracting smallpox when smallpox broke out, a very significant number of children died from smallpox. Um, some estimate that before the vaccine, as many as forty percent of children. Um, died from smallpox and a um, very significant number of children just didn't make it to adulthood. Uh, mostly from, in general, a very large percentage of children didn't make it to adulthood. But a very large percentage of children died just from smallpox. And so, um, you're, given that your child will very likely die from smallpox without the vaccine, and they had only a very small chance of dying with the vaccine, so despite the considerable lift, risk. Rabbi Strahl Lifshitz argued that you should still take the vaccine. And he pointed out that every treatment, every medical treatment, or every medical prevention, every prevention, preventative treatment that we do in medicine comes with some risk. And that's still true today, although medicine has greatly improved and risks that would have been acceptable two centuries ago when. Um, he wrote this would no longer be acceptable today but every medical procedure comes with risk. Um, And so um, yet we do medical procedures and we can do medical procedures in order to improve our health, um, in order to help save us from greater risk or from greater harm. So you are allowed to take risk, do something that can cause you harm, and one is required to do something that could cause you harm in order to save you from greater harm. So just as you can do any other medical procedure which involves risk in order to save you from greater harm, in the same way also you can and should do a treatment such as the smallpox vaccine in their days, which comes with significant risk in order to save you from a much, much greater and much more likely risk. Now, what risk of a medical procedure is acceptable? Um, Then scholars said even a risk as high as 5% mortality may be acceptable to save you from a much more likely risk. Um, Today, generally, the medical community we would never accept, except for somebody who's facing a terminal illness. Um, We would um, generally not accept numbers that high today anymore, thanks to our improvement of medicine, but one can take significant risk in order to protect them um, from future. And therefore, um, he argued that one should take the smallpox vaccine, and so did just about every other scholar then that dealt with the issue. One should take the smallpox vaccine, not only should, is required to, to protect themselves despite the risk that it entails, though they did warn that when taking it, one should be careful to only take it from somebody who is skilled. Um, a skilled administrator of the smallpox vaccine. There were many people traveling from town to town uh, uh, administering it. Um, not all of them knew what they were doing. So you had to be careful um, what you were to take up from somebody who didn't know what they were doing. Today, thankfully, um, our vaccines have gotten much, much better. Um, today, there are no known dangers from any vaccines currently in the schedule of vaccines. Uh, There are no known dangers. There are, there is a tiny possibility of serious side effects from some of them, Um, but um, there's no known, um, no proven mortality from any known, from any um, vaccines that we have today. There have been claims in the past about some vaccines that they cause different forms of harm. that has one. the most famously, there was a claim that the uh, MMR, the measles, mumps, rubella, um, causes autism back in the uh, 90s. Um, that claim has been debunked time and time again. It was, firstly, that study has never been able to be replicated. There are many medical studies that have happened once. If they can't be re- replicated, they're not accepted. Um, it was later revealed that the data in that study was falsified to start with. And um, and furthermore, even if they're even, furthermore, the particular ingredient which I forget offhand that they were concerned about that they claim caused the autism has been since removed, despite the fact that there's no evidence for its harm. And um, on top of that, even were even were it to be true that there is a chance of it causing autism, even so, the greater risk. Would still require somebody to vaccinate themselves in order to protect, to take on a lower risk in order to protect themselves for a greater risk. Definitely, there is no um, comparison to the danger of taking smallpox 200 years ago. That was much more dangerous, without a doubt. And even so, um, it was recommended because or required because one must protect themselves from a greater risk, even if it entails taking on a smaller risk. Now, in addition to the personal danger, uh, personal requirement for our own health, we also have a concern of communal responsibility to help others. Anyone who is not immunized from a contagious disease poses a public health threat in event of an outbreak. Because they can contract it, they can then pass it to somebody else who is not fully immune, um, either because they took it and it didn't fully work, or because they weren't able to take it. The Torah commands us, when somebody is in danger, we must do all that we can to save them. The Torah says, Do not stand on your fellow's blood, which means if you see someone in danger, you must step in to save them. Um, the examples given if you see someone drowning in a river, you must jump in and try to help them Now we are not required to put ourselves in danger to save someone Our first responsibility is always to protecting ourselves The rule of the Talmud is Chayecha <laughs> Kodmi your life always comes first if you are in a desert with one flask of water Only enough for yourself, don't share it with somebody else. Your life comes first. We first have an ethical responsibility to our own life before protecting others. We have a requirement to protect ourselves. Not out of selfishness, but because God has given us our bodies on loan, and our first ethical responsibility is to protect the bodies that God has given us. So we are required to first protect ourselves. And for that reason, a person may not put themselves in serious danger um, in order to save somebody else who is in danger. Um, you what if cannot if risk your, your... your children. Sorry? What if it's our children there's a natural need to do so. Um, let me better put it differently. One is not required to put oneself in danger to save somebody else. Whether one can choose to do so on their own or not is actually debated among scholars. Whether one can choose to do so, there's no question that throughout history many great heroes have chosen to put themselves in danger to save others. Um, I don't know, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a bad thing. But um, because you're not dying to save somebody else, you would never be allowed to give up your life to save somebody else. That Torah forbids but putting yourself in danger to save somebody else in danger is actually a debate as to whether it's allowed, but it's definitely not required. So, um, however, that is only if we put ourselves in serious danger, under serious risk. However, if there is no grave danger, we have to step in to save others. In fact, any time the um, Radvash of David Ben-Zimra points out any time that a person will be saving somebody else, most of the time you're saving somebody else in danger, there is some danger to the person, the savior, the one who is saving. There will be, for example, if you do jump into a river to save someone from drowning, right? although you know how to swim, so there's no grave danger, um, but there is still always some danger involved. Yet you, put, you, can't, you are required to put yourself in minimal danger in order to save somebody else. So as long as the risk is not great, one is definitely required to put themselves in minimal danger to save somebody else. Um, for that way, even if there would be minimal risk in vaccines, one would be required to vaccinate in order to ensure that they do not harm um, others. Um, that would definitely be true, given that there is no um, the, there is no known danger um, from vaccines today. Um, a further mitzvah in the Torah is that when somebody builds a when somebody has a house with a roof or an open porch that is used that people walk on, one must build a fence. And the Torah gives us the reasons. Some mitzvahs, the Torah does not give us the reasons. This mitzvah, the Torah does give us the reason. And that is in order that you should not, you're not allowed to have something dangerous in your home. You're not allowed to create something that's dangerous or own some control, something that's dangerous. Um, you must put a fence. And so this includes requirements. You cannot have anything dangerous in your home, even... If it's a danger just for visitors, or for yourself, or for your family, you're not allowed to have anything dangerous in your home, on your property, um, or on your person. Marla? Well, so, no guns produced, right? <laughs> are guns dangerous? I, um, I think we did a class on guns. Yeah. did yeah. we do a class yet on guns? No. That's a very good question. Uh, That's a very good question. I would say for certain, one should not have guns unlocked or where anyone can get to it, where kids can get to it at your home. That would be absolutely wrong. Whether a person can have a locked gun uh, for their own personal protection or their family's protection is a discussion for another class. Um, But definitely a gun that's dangerous. In other words, it's loaded. Or it's the um, the um, yeah ammunition is easily available and doesn't have safety features to protect it from your children um, or from others. Um, definitely is a concern. Absolutely. Um, so um, so so in the same way, one can argue further that a person who is not immunized today, um, when they have the option to be, poses a public health hazard, um, because in event of an outbreak, if they contract the disease, they will pass it on to others, almost certainly, um, so they do p- pose a public health hazard. Um, and so therefore, um, uh, one, uh, therefore, it's been argued that one again would be required to avoid that public health hazard, since one is forbidden from owning a hazard, um, including being a hazard, Um, one would therefore be required to immunize, not only out of the requirement to help others, but also out of the prohibition of not having a hazard. Now, some argue that while in theory everybody would be required to immunize, however, given that most people today are immunized and we create, we have today herd immunity, one person is not going to change it. In other words, if there is herd immunity and I choose not to vaccinate my children, that's not going to end the herd immunity. That's not going to make the disease spread if regardless it's not spreading because everybody else is immunized. So one person can say, let everybody else get immunized, but I will not. Let everybody else's children get immunized, I will. Um, rely on their herd immunity. So, and that's an argument people often do make. Um, Jewish law, though, forbids doing something that is harmful to others, even if the harm is accumulative. Even if every individual's harm is insignificant. Nevertheless, if your harm together with other people's harm is causing harm, Harm the general population, that is forbidden as well. The Jerusalem Talmud tells us that before the flood, before the flood of Noah, people were stealing, but they came up with workarounds to steal without being able to be blamed for it. What they would do is if somebody would have a bag of grain, everybody would take one grain until there was none left. And so taking very small amounts, I took something that was insignificant. You can't complain. But when everyone does it together, they're left with nothing. So that is, although they did it, and there may not be a way to get it all back, however, that is absolutely forbidden, even if what you did may be <laughs> insignificant. In the same way, a similar way play, way this works is, Um, With our communal responsibility for example in paying taxes or if there is a draft to join the draft where one can argue if I don't pay taxes it is really not going to make a big difference to the overall income of the government after all my Um, my impact is only a very, very tiny amount. So I'm not going to make a very big difference. It really doesn't matter. I'm not making any significant impact. Nevertheless, it's all accumulative. You don't have the choice not to pay taxes and say, let everybody else do it, um, since you are one of many. In the same way with the same things with the drafts. Everybody else is being drafted. I don't need to be drafted. Again, even if one person's contribution may be insignificant, since you are part of the group, everybody must do their part. The same, of course, works with um, today with protecting our environment. We all have our own. Even if everybody's involvement is minor, um, everybody is required for the good of the public to, uh, everyone is required for the good of the public to do their part. The so same would also work with herd immunity, that a person is required, uh, would cannot say, I will rely on everybody else's vaccination, so I do not have to vaccinate my own children. So it is clear from all halachic authorities and all Jewish experts that, a, uh, that Torah law, Torah rules, Torah values, would require everybody to give their children the full recommended schedule of vaccines. And one is required to do so. I'm not aware of a single rabbi that says otherwise. Now, there is a debate among halachic scholars if we as as a community have the right to force other people to do it. So even if you can tell people it's ethically, it's your ethical responsibility. Do I have the right to force you? Most halachic scholars, including uh, Rav Oyashiv, who was a great 20th century rabbi in Israel, um, were of the view are of the view that you can, since it's an issue of public health, you can force people to vaccinate, and we should, um, as a society, force every child to be vaccinated, and not leave it as an option um there were some notably um, um Rabbi Shlomo Orbach that said well we don't have while it is there is an ethical responsibility for everyone to vaccinate their children as a community we don't have the right to force people to do so um, that's ultimately their own ethical choice um, there's been a further debate um, in many places including in california Um, Especially due to the most recent measles outbreak, um, they've tightened the rules. Um, While we don't force all parents to give their children, to vaccinate their children, we do not allow children into school um, if they are not vaccinated. Um, There used to be loopholes to that law. They've essentially shut all the loopholes in the last two years um, where a child cannot attend school. um, And the only option the parent really has is to homeschool if they choose not to... um, not to vaccinate their children um, for Jewish schools. Should the Jewish schools have the right to throw out children that whose parents refuse to vaccinate them? There, this this was a debate very recently. There was uh, last year there was an outbreak in a number of Jewish schools on the East Coast uh, from Jewish parents who refused to vaccinate. Um, there was an outbreak of measles, and um, the um, and. Rabbis were asked this question, can the schools throw out the children that are not vaccinated? And um, most scholars said, yes, they can. As a community, not only do we have the right, first, we have the right to force others to vaccinate. We also, though we have a communal responsibility to educate every Jewish child, uh, we also have the right as parents to protect and as a society to protect those who are doing the right thing from those who are choosing not to and so uh, we do have the right to throw those children out of school. There were some scholars that questioned that but by and large, um, it, and it has been done, um, children were removed from schools uh, if they were not vaccinated and hopefully today they all are. Um, so um, s- um, so um, s- definitely Torah, um, Jewish values, is for medicine, um, for proven safety and health procedures, and therefore given that um, it is medically advisable, highly advisable to vaccinate our children, Therefore, um, and because Judaism requires us to protect ourselves and to protect society, we are required to vaccinate. Even if there would be a serious risk, there is no serious risk, but even if there would be a minor risk from vaccination, we would still be required to do it. In conclusion, though, the Rebbe would always say that we can learn a lesson from everything. Everything in life teaches us also a practical lesson, in addition to the rule itself. And so the Rebbe pointed out um, many things in life that we can learn lessons from, including, he once pointed out, the lesson that we can learn from vaccines and immunization. We vaccinate for a disease because that disease is dangerous. We vaccinate for measles, polio, for a number of different types of hepatitis, for many others, because we believe that disease is dangerous. Yet, for many of these diseases, most people will not die from them. For many of the diseases, the fatality rate while significant. It was not that most people would die, it was a small percentage of people that died from measles or from German measles or from uh, whooping cough or polio, people that became debilitated. It wasn't a majority, it was a significant minority. But yet we believe that it is important to get the vaccines because Since a significant minority will die or be harmed from the disease, better we get rid of any chance of having the disease altogether, Um, better go through the process even if it may be a drop painful um, of vaccinating ourselves, our children, in order to protect that minority, in order to protect those few that will be impacted. The same is also true in life in general often we are in a situation where we feel we can help somebody but our chances of succeeding are not high maybe we have a one in five chance of succeeding a one in ten chance of succeeding a one in fifty chance of succeeding our chances of succeeding are fairly low even then it is important to step in to try to help people for the small but significant chance that you will be able to help them because if you keep doing that You will sooner or later help someone. The same is also true with spirituality. When we try to impact somebody um, in spirituality, we often feel that we're not making much of an impact. However, a small but meaningful chance that you will make an impact makes it all worthwhile. I once heard from Rabbi Benjamin Blech, he's a rabbi from New York, um, who, he's an older rabbi, very well known, and coaches a lot of rabbis, and he once said that many rabbis think that their sermons or their classes don't really matter that much because it's unlikely that anyone will really be impacted from the sermon they give. Most people walk out and don't even remember what they said. Um, You can give the same sermon the next year. Nobody even, most people don't even notice. However, while that's probably true, um, it's unlikely that anybody will be impacted from any one speech or any one class. That is true. Um, It is unlikely that this particular speech or this particular class will make a difference. However, many people, if not most people, have changed their life because of something inspirational that they heard. Now you've gotta go to many classes and hear many speeches and hear many, many inspirational things before you hear that one thing that changes your life. But that individual class may not impact anyone, but people will get impacted from a class sooner or later, or a sermon, and it may be this one. And in the same way, the same is also we, um, in coming to classes or going to shul, will going to a specific class change my life Probably not. If every time you went to a class your life changed, you would be a very, um, um, I guess, a a very changed individual. Uh, you, You may, somebody who changes that often or is impacted that often, may be a little unstable as well. Your life will probably not change from a specific class. However, if you continue attending classes. And of course, there's always that slight impact that it always makes that is accumulative as well. But you will sooner or later attend that one class or go to synagogue that one time where it does make a significant impact. And there will be, and it has happened to probably all of us at a certain point, that we were impacted. By something we learned, or by something that, that was said. we Something did make that impact at one time, and it will happen again, but you need to keep doing it. You need to keep doing the good in order to have that impact that one time. Um,